pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> Someday we're going to have either an animation or hire a sound effects person to actually do that. Oh, no, I make, I make great sound effects. It's... I. I'm always in charge of sound effects. You make sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, in relationships, you usually get a feeling when things aren't working out. So you might not like it, but you can always kind of feel when something is wrong. The same can be said for your product, too. You might love your product. You might have all kinds of hopes and dreams for it and think it's the most amazing idea in the world. But if it's not right, it's not right. And when you're building an MVP, it can be really hard to look at your product objectively because it's still your brain, baby. Like you love this thing. It's your idea. And it's hard to be detached from that. But it is really important to keep things in perspective. Yeah. And I mean, that's why it's so important that you're building MVPs. You're not building your full form app right out the gate, right? It allows you to test and pivot at a fast rate or, you know. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a lot before with perfect form, how we got to beta even. And we were like, you know what? This just isn't right. Mm -hmm. And so because you can pivot quickly and you can say, hey, we're building out this super cool feature. You can say, let's test this pretty quick and let's make sure that it works. But more often than not, that's not what people do. Yeah, I mean... What you need to do, though, is you need to test your product, make sure it performs, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have three options, essentially. Let it keep failing. <laughs> which honestly which is what a lot of people a lot of people do because they're in love with their idea. It's hard to disconnect. Like, we've well, all been there. Well, and it's hard, like, in this age of social media and with things going viral overnight, everyone gets this idea in their heads that I'm the next unicorn. I'm the next one up. Yeah. And all it needs is the big break. All yeah. I need to do is show up on the right podcast or on the right person's Facebook feed or on the right person's LinkedIn feed, or I need to find my way onto product hunt or something like that. And it's always going to be the big break. And yeah. so people hold on to that idea and that hope. It's the same feeling and this really the same situation as somebody who's spending all of their money on lottery tickets, right? So you've got your product owner, your CEO, whatever. They've been buying this lottery ticket saying, I am going to win the lottery and my app is the way to do that. And so you sink $5 into it, $10 into it. You, have, you build over years of, well, soon it's going to be my turn. I am going to win this lottery I just need to get that next ticket. And that's what they think. So they just keep pushing forward with that. And all it leads to <clears throat> is continued failing yeah. because they refuse to see like, maybe there's something I'm doing wrong. Right. Like you, that's listening to feedback. Why aren't people sticking and using your app? Like if you don't have a good retention rate, yeah, you got to figure it out. So that is the what? The, let it. Let it continue. Just keep failing yeah. method, right? And then the other one would be like... <laughs> We're going to coin that phrase. I'm going to make a t-shirt. <laughs> I follow the let, let it, it keep failing Let method. it keep failing method. <laughs> and then there's the give up and walk away, right? But I mean, a lot of, actually, a lot of people do mm -hmm. give up and walk away too because starting a business, especially doing something new that might be a little cutting edge and people might not understand your product yet. 
Yeah, there have been a lot of products that are just ahead of their time. Mm -hmm. But often those two options kind of go hand in hand because they let it keep failing. And then eventually there there comes this point where they're just like, well, I am now my my house is now gone because I took out a second mortgage to make this app work. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of people in podcasts that I listen to and materials that I read talk about how (laughs) how it's a dangerous situation when you've got somebody who's really hungry because they've got this dream and they're putting everything into it and they are putting their house up for a second mortgage. They're selling their car. They're restricting their diet and keeping themselves from eating too much food because that budget has to go to this app and they pour everything into it. And the problem is you get to this point where you're so hungry and you're so desperate that your mind actually goes through changes and you go into that scarcity panicked kind of mode and you stop thinking clearly. Mm -hmm. And so eventually they get to a point where they can't do anything else and they just have to give up and say, okay, well, I guess I'm done. This dream is dead. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's a hard, um, hard thing to swallow. Yeah. Cause when you dump yourself into something and you could sink millions of dollars into a project too. Mm-hmm. Right? And, uh, yeah. Now if you do it the right way, like what MVPs and like agile management teaches. is made for and yeah. teaches is fix the problem, right? You shift you <laughs> for anyone who missed the memo. This is obviously the best choice. This is the best choice. <laughs> Uh, one, I mean, most of the time. One actually, and two, but... I mean, loserville. <laughs> well, I mean, yes and no. Like, for the most part, yes. We'll talk about it more later. But there are times when saying, all right, well, we're dropping this is the right decision. For sure. But it's pretty rare that that's the case if you've done things right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one example of that is to <laughs> to talk about when it's right to walk away (laughs) is a past client that we've worked with. Their biggest problem was they had a product and I've used this phrase before in our podcast, but they had a product that solved a problem. Nobody had Mm -hmm. in a way that nobody wanted. And they poured literally years and millions of dollars into this product and it was just bad. And when you're at that point, you don't want to. Well, especially say it if you've taken on nothing. investors. Like, right. what can you do? Yeah. And so they could have pivoted way earlier on and found, hey, here's a niche that we could we in. can like kind of pivot to and go towards, and let's find a problem to solve that's adjacent to what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. But they got way in too deep, and they just they would not change was the biggest problem yeah they were too close to their problem yeah one and i think they actually believed they were solving a problem yeah and it's that like earlier i mentioned keeping things in perspective i love my projects and i have i have a whole list in my private obsidian files that i use for file management um of ideas for games that i absolutely love and i want to make and products that i want to make but you also have to remove that emotional attachment to those things and you have to take a step back and go, okay, if I were not the one making this product, 
how would I see this? Mm-hmm. And like, even if one thing I've seen people do that actually I really like is they will go to a trusted friend or a colleague, they will find some third party and they will throw their pitch deck at them and they will say, I need feedback. And people will say, you know, talk to your family, go to your parents, your brothers and sisters. In my opinion, that's a horrible idea. You'll never get the true feedback. Yeah, you're not going to get honest feedback. I feel like it'll either be, it depends on your family, right? It'll be overly positive, like... We're just always your cheerleader, which is good. We are your supporters. Yeah, that's good. Or you'll just have the haters that just don't want you to do anything (laughs) different than what they've done because it's out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Or they don't understand it or whatever. So I would avoid pitching it to family or whatever. But trusted colleagues, trusted friends, someone you really respect. Whoever puts you in check when you're out of line, they're the one that you want to pitch to. Absolutely. And so you can throw your pitch deck at them and say, hey, does this make sense? Like, is this a problem that you can see? Mm -hmm. And even if they say yes, like if they say no, then it's time to reevaluate. And you could even maybe talk to them about, okay, well, let's figure out something that's kind of in the same area because I'm passionate about this. Mm -hmm. Or if this is just early testing and early, like you're looking for feedback and you haven't really spent a bunch of time building anything yet. Then you can be like, well, let's reconsider a different idea. Market research is like quick to overlook, especially when you're like the engineer and builder. Because oh, you're so sure. excited to build it. I feel like market research, the business minded people like that stuff. But you have to like make sure you actually have a product fit for yeah. whatever you're doing. And that too. was this client's biggest problem is they didn't go get like real feedback from real users. And like I've seen some of their pitch materials and looking at it. They were like, have you ever had to do this? And my immediate response was, no, no, no. And I like looked over at my wife and I was like, have, okay, here's the situation that they're trying to solve. Like, have you ever had to do this? Like in this case where I didn't tell her the whole thing yet. I was like, in this case, you want to do X. What do you do to solve this problem? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, I do why and i said okay so you wouldn't do what's being proposed here and i read the rest of it and she looked at me and she's like no no no. who would do that so don't invent a problem (laughs) (laughs) yeah you definitely and that's my main point is you don't want to invent a problem because the masses especially they're going to look at it and be like i didn't i don't have this problem yeah like what are you what are you smoking and we're in a day uh we're in a like a state of time where I feel like people are trying to like unload digital clutter. Oh, for sure. Like no one wants apps they don't need or use. Yeah, um, there's major overload problems yeah, going on. Yep. And people are getting it's I'm trying to remember the technical f- term for it. I think it's like digital fatigue or something like that. But it's an actual problem where because of all of the constant input, the constant connection, there's an overload of dopamine in everybody's systems. Mm-hmm. And they're having to like detox and actually dump digital things out of their lives for their own mental health. And it's, it's a thing. Um, but anyways, so these people got focused on the wrong problem. They invented a problem because they had this vision that I never really understood. Honestly, I think it was just like unicorn syndrome, right? Yeah. They thought the idea was so fucking good 
so freaking good that they were the next unicorn. Like they were changing the space they were in. Yeah. And in reality, their unicorn was closer to a donkey. Yeah. But they invented this problem and then they got hyper-focused and charged in the wrong direction. And they took all that typical advice that you get of, you know, hustle culture. We got to grind, <clears throat> pump it out fast, get your product out, get it, get it out like now. And they never took that introspective, hey, let's stop and think about this. They just pumped out a giant project. And the project itself was just getting band-aids thrown on it for like four years trying to solve problems. And it was always that one feature away idea. And when people did try to stop and be like, hey, let's talk about this. Is there another direction that we could go? Because it's obviously not taking off. Like when you're three or four years into your product being live and your user count is like 15, it's probably time to reconsider. Right. And they just, the people involved had a really hard time taking any criticism either. Like, again, I don't want to go into a whole ton of details. No. But they had a designer on board that actually was let go because he dared question the vision of of the people at the top. And that is a bad place to be in for everybody involved. Yeah, because now no one's giving honest feedback. They're yeah. like, okay, it's a paycheck. And it just <laughs> feeds into that, hey, we're going to charge in the wrong direction. And everybody else who's working on the problem doesn't feel safe giving feedback. And they focus a lot on, well, like you said, I'm just getting a paycheck. Yeah, we don't, al- we don't align. So we got I got let go instead of making a discussion. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> like, so you don't want to have that. <clears throat> and it doesn't lead to good things. It doesn't lead to your product taking off. It doesn't lead to anybody taking care of it or helping you or wanting to get your vision off the ground. Now, in comparison, like we don't want to toot our own horns too much. But we're awesome. But we're awesome. (laughs) (laughs) But like with Perfect Form, we found ourselves in somewhat a similar situation in terms of like the user experience and the direction that we were going after we got our beta out. And I mean, we never, we don't have a, a, a large user base because we always wanted to just like keep it small and stay in contact. Yeah, we wanted to try and scale incrementally while we were still figuring things out. But even with like the small group we got on who were like all about the the idea of our product, like how I pitched it to them, right? Yeah, because like you went to the gym and found people who would actively use this. Yeah, and I was excited about it and I explained my vision, right? And then when it came to beta testing, they jumped on board, they did the hoops. We got like their workouts on, we got a couple clients on. But at the end of the day, we were getting positive feedback in our ears because no one wants to give you bad news. Yeah. But nobody likes we being also know no one was using our app. <laughs> because we had analytics saying nobody's using the app. Yeah. And it was a tough pill to swallow. But you realize like like once we started being honest with each other, like I work out a lot and I use fitness apps and I use them and I didn't want to use our own product. Yeah. So why am I doing Why am I building something I don't want to use? Like, that doesn't make sense. This might come as a shocker, but I don't work out a lot. I know it's it's deceiving. We're working on it. My my (laughs) Adonis like figure. (laughs) But 
looking at the app from the other side of the spectrum because that was a conversation that we had like near near launch mm -hmm. it was we'd built this thing and we were looking at it all and you were i forget the name of the book i'm blanking it it was an audiobook you were listening the cold start problem the cold that was it dude such a good book by the way <sighs> um anyone that's building a marketplace or like large platform yeah actually anything just read it. It's such a good book. Yeah, but you started reading it. You'd recommended it. I started listening to the audiobook while I was working and loved it. And the problem that we ran into was we realized the target user that we'd been building the app for was you. And you are already a highly active person. You're already working out. You are self-motivated to work out. And the original intent was let's get people working out. Yeah. And so we looked at it and we're like, wait a minute. We shifted our perspective We've got without this even whole thing backwards. And we shifted our perspective on accident. Yeah. Like we don't know how we got that derailment. Yeah. It was like we were in the middle of a sprint review mm -hmm. and we were just going over stuff. And as we were looking at it, we both just kind of collectively wait a second. We're doing it wrong. <laughs> and we realized the user we should be targeting is me. Is you, yeah. Like and we built it wrong. Mm -hmm. And it should be more of an engaging thing that gets somebody to actively want to work out. We essentially scrapped everything we did in eight eight months, maybe a year. Yeah, it was, it was um, about eight months, yeah. But I'm so stoked because we have an amazing designer. Oh, this is gonna be tons better. We have but... an amazing designer now and we're making it more like we've taken feedback. We've gotten honest feedback because we pull it out of people. <laughs> but we're making it a lot more community. Tell me I suck. <laughs> you tell me I suck right now. Um, but we're making it more community driven and uh, making it more like like the free pieces of the app more like focused on, right? Instead yeah. of like just jumping into just another marketplace where you have to buy things. Yeah. We're making it more engaging. Like, hey, you can do this free um challenge with your friends yeah and we're and focusing more on like the social aspect of it that social pressure in a good way yeah gamification to get people to keep coming back and give them things to strive for beyond well i bought the plan so i need to finish it and it allowed us to get realigned because originally perfect form came from being a an ar an augmented reality heavy feature thing right uh -huh. and now we're realigning with ar with like, hga and perfect journey. form yeah <laughs> because we started with hey here's this ar product that would be amazing but that's too hard to launch with <laughs> that's too hard to launch with so let's go ahead and like start with a marketplace to get users on board and then we'll focus on the ar stuff and building all of the tools that we want to build for this mm -hmm. and then somehow along the way and this is why this whole discussion is important is because in the journey, we hit this new product that was completely different from what we had originally planned out. Yeah. And we looked at it and we were like, this isn't it. it you know what the problem was, is I'm bad at design. And we kind of, we, we hired freelancers and we let them take the vision. Yeah. And they were- And just, that's where we lost it. Cause yeah. they made a real just cold functional app. Yeah. Right. I'm not upset with their work because they did deliver what we were signing off on and what we, and what we, we talked about. Like, yeah. And but I allowed their vision of the app to, to change, overtake to change the vision my vision of the app. And so we landed on this marketplace and that's when we stopped. And rather than taking option one of, well, we're just going to hope we end up on product hunt. 
How are we doing for time? 20. Okay. We're just going to hope we end up on product hunt, which is the let it keep failing. Or, well, this sucks. We've mm -hmm. spent, you know, almost a little over a year of our lives building this thing. Because, like, between the design times and planning things out, actual development was probably, like, six to eight months. And then we had planning time on top of that. And, like, it was just, it was a whole big thing. We could have said, well, this sucks. Guess we're giving up. But we took the third option and said, okay, we have clear problems. This product is way over here. And we wanted our product to be on this opposite side. It's not what we were looking for at all. So what can we do about it? And yeah. that's when we started having discussions of, we really like our progressive web app. Like that's cool. That's great. But does it lend to what the original vision of what you had requires? Right. Will it allow us to flex AR technology the way we want to? And the answer was no. Not right now. Not like yet. there are some promising project projects, but they're all like alpha testing made by one person kind of side things that we don't feel comfortable basing the entirety of our business on. Right. And web ar just Ooh, that's actually a good uh episode it should, yeah relying too that. much on uh dependencies and third-party software yep. um but like if anything goes wrong with that dependency then we're hosed and so then we also looked at okay in general web ar performance is this something that we can live with and for what we're wanting to do no, no. we need more performance and so we looked at this product that we had spent months and months building and said you know what this isn't it and we went back to the drawing board like perfect form is still live what we had built is still there but it's like right now it's kind of in a stagnant state as far as the client side goes because we're focused on like let's build out this new thing and do it right this time yeah and that's when we actually switched over to the game engine because we were like well one, I'm, I love using game engines. <laughs> so and I just was, wanted to keep Ben happy. So <laughs> Ben was about to leave anyways. So, <laughs> um, but it gives us the power mm -hmm. to have that cross-platform development that we were looking for with the PWA, which is one of the reasons that we went that route. It gives us that option. It gives us the performance we need. It gives us native access to all of those AR, AR libraries that live on these people's devices mm -hmm. and it gives us a super easy way to gamify everything build in these social aspects and build something super cool and it's gonna and be it's, dope i mean it's looking hot so far so but anyways the point is we were at that point where we could pick one of those three options and sometimes it's absolutely okay to say i need to walk away from this I think I started the conversation with Ben. <laughs> I was like, our app sucks. We have to start over. <laughs> and my response was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it went better than and I like, thought it would. I think, I think leading up to that, you had always like tried to keep things positive. Because I had made like minor criticisms of even though I wrote this. Mm -hmm. And even though I signed off on it and it is functioning the way that I built it. I don't love it. Yeah, we never loved it. We were just like accepting of it. And like the uh, words that we kept using were, it's fine. And coming from the founders of the project, the people who built it, 
You shouldn't be saying your product's fine. (laughs) You shouldn't be saying it's fine, I guess. And yeah, so it just finally clicked. And I was like, I'm just being, I'm in denial. So I was like, Ben, I voxered him, I think. Yeah. I was like, perfect form, freaking sucks. I'm not happy with it. I don't want to use it. It sucks. We need to figure it out. And I heard your message and I said, oh, thank the Lord. And then I started recording (laughs) and replying. (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's hard to make that pivot. But sometimes you really have to. And even if it's this idea isn't working out at all, like it would be better to find that out early than after you've sunk a bunch of resources and time and hopes and dreams and paid somebody like thousands of dollars for a good pitch deck and all of that stuff. Like it's better to find out early and walk away from it. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, there are things that you can do to fix the problem. Right. The biggest thing, though, is people get stuck on this idea of what's called, especially the founders, get stuck on this idea of what's called a sunk cost. Sunk cost is essentially like what you've spent, right? Yeah. So like we spent eight months building something that we totally scrapped. And like, thankfully it was our skill set. But if we paid developers to build what we built, we would have just lost a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. And that's hard to swallow. For an MVP product. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Like, it sucks. It is what it is. We learned a lot. And it it is just, it's the name of the game. Like, if you want to be in the startup world, you want to build cool products, you want to change the world, maybe just, like, barely change it, right? You could change one person's life. You're going to make expensive mistakes. If you want to be Tony Hawk, you have to be willing to eat the dirt. Yeah. And, like, yes. A quarter of a million dollars, it hurts, especially when you put it that way. Like, it hurts a lot, but people lose a lot more money doing other things. And it's cheaper than going to college. (laughs) (laughs) That hurts me. (laughs) But yeah, and I mean, it's kind of the same when you hire a freelancer to do that work. Like you said, you know, we would have lost a quarter of a million dollars. And that's something that we get approached with all of the time. And we talked about this in a in another episode, but it is not uncommon at all for someone to reach out to us and be like, hey, I have spent $5,000, $10,000, $30,000, dollars I think is the highest one I've heard. Having somebody else build this product and it's trash. Like, yeah. I can't do this. And, and we go, okay, well, what's your budget? And they go, well, I mean, it was like $100,000. And we go, okay, what do you, cool. So $100,000 and they're like, well, but I'm already in the hole. Like I got burned. And the unfortunate thing is that money is a sunk cost. Yeah. Like maybe we can salvage the code base. Maybe we can work with what's there. Maybe we can make it work. And designs could be done. There could be a lot of things salvageable, but like a lot of times, yeah, it's a sunk cost and it, it hurts. It's not an easy pill to swallow, but guess guess who's not going to make that mistake on their next software project? Yeah, wow. for sure. You're not going to hire that freelancer and you're going to know what to look for a little more. Yeah. And I mean, that's why like shameless plug for us. That's why we kind of focus on feature based billing and why we think that's so great is because at least with us, like you're not getting the hourly, hey, I've been working on this for 600 hours 
and what do I have to show for it? Who knows? Yeah. You're getting, hey, we've put, we gave you a quote. We built out this thing. Here is the feature with a whole bunch of checks for quality and all that stuff. You have signed off on it and all that to make sure you're happy every step of the way. Yep. And that's what it should be more of in the software world. But everybody's gotten so comfortable with hourly that that's just what's done. And honestly, hourly is just kind of a lazy way to do it on the developer side mm -hmm. because it means you can't screw up. You yep. can't misquote somebody. But then it also just leaves your client, you don't know how much you're going to spend on a project. Yeah. And I mean, especially when you're dealing with somebody that you don't have like a working relationship with, somebody that you've never met, how do you really gauge that yeah. quality? And for all you know, like I'm not advocating for spy on your developer and be paranoid about it. Yeah. I'm just saying with hourly, for all you know, they're sitting there like just twiddling their thumbs right. and burning time. Yep. And it's it's not just developers, it's really any industry. Like whether you've got a designer, a writer, an audio technician, whoever. Well, what was that term we were just talking about this morning? Um, the when you quietly quit. Oh, quiet quitting. Yeah, quiet yeah. quitting. It's essentially the same thing, right? Like you could be just overestimating your hours because you feel like you're worth more. Well, like you're you're doing just what's expected, and that's it. Yeah. And like this is not commentary on the quiet quitting movement because I honestly mostly agree with it no yeah we were just <laughs> talking about it. i don't have an opinion but but like <clears throat> the idea of well if i can bill them for 30 hours and they're happy with that then i'm going to bill them for 30 hours and that's like how hourly works and the focus is more on how much time am i claiming that i sat here and worked on it and you can lose a lot of money and a lot of time precious time at the beginning of building your product when you don't know that you're getting anything. Mm -hmm. And that's where that risk of a sunk cost comes in is, hey, I've hired this developer. They worked on it for 600 hours no. and I've got nothing. Yeah. And now I've burned through $50,000 or whatever of my budget. Yep. And now I've got to go find somebody to do it right. But that $50,000 is gone. Yep. And like, just that alone, like it's hard to see back end work, right? So mm -hmm. you have to just trust that there's 60 hours of work in your API. Well, and even then it's it's tough. And it could be bad code. If your API is working, yeah. but your passwords are all plain text. Yeah, <laughs> like, true. And then now you don't know if there's security flaws in crappy code off a freelance overflow. website. Yeah. Um, I was going to take that somewhere and I forgot. But anyways. The biggest things to kind of, takeaway from this are if things aren't working out it's important to recognize that pretty early on yeah and your best bet whether it's to redesign your product and take a different approach or find out exactly what's wrong if things are like mostly working but you're having problems the most proactive thing you can do is find the problem and fix it and sometimes that involves walking away from the project sometimes it's just taking a step back and going, we got to redesign this. And sometimes it's like a lot of people's favorite work chat app, Slack. Oh yeah, that's a great point. Um, Cause Slack, it's it didn't start out as Slack. No. Nope. Um, a lot of people actually don't know this. They think Slack just came out of the ether. Slack started as a video game. It came from Glitch the Game. Yep. And the, 
the game was not doing well. It was it bombed. <laughs> I think it put it almost put the studio out. Yeah, of it, it, it was. It like, almost ran them out of business. Yeah, but it was this kind of mix of um, Neopets and Club Penguin, and um, they built out this game. It did not do well. They were bombing, they were losing money, and they had to pivot, and they actually shut down the servers and ended the game. And like for game developer people out there, it's actually really cool because when they did that, like it's not cool that they shut down. It sucks for them. But mm. when they shut down, they actually open sourced like everything, including the assets for the game, and they archived it on the web and said, here's the library of all of the assets. Anybody who wants to use the music, the sound effects, the images, the sprites, whatever, go for it. We'd love to see it in action. And like they just gave it out. But the team said, we have to make a change. What about our game was good? And what they really loved was their chat functionality. And now, they had built a really good chat system. I might be thinking this wrong. What was... Was the chat portion an internal tool originally? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like they had all these different chat options for their internal tools that they were using to communicate about the game and to work with the game. And like it was, I I think it was interfacing with the actual user facing side too. Like you could put in messages and have them pop up. And essentially they had like a very basic version of Slack chill in there. Mm -hmm. um, and it just interacted with the game, which actually is a really cool idea. But anyways, um, they decided we really love this chat feature. And they went from a game studio to starting this product called Slack. And I know a lot of people haven't heard about Slack because it's fairly niche. But it's and sarcasm tag. <laughs> but it's now the biggest one of the biggest. I don't know if Microsoft Teams has overtaken it. Yet. Uh, I don't know. I was going to say it's probably Slack and Discord. Yeah. But like different, different, so they serve like different, different niches. niches. Yeah. Yeah. And Discord's another story. But Discord does a lot of cool stuff. They do. And their their stack, I love it. Mm -hmm. It's they actually mix the best of both of our worlds. They do. <laughs> because they use for their back end Elixir for the concurrency and the fault to tolerance and then Rust for all the heavy lifting. So Anyways, we actually should consider looking into that option. Oh, I was going to talk to you about it, yeah. but <laughs> that's a discussion for another time. But anyways, um, Slack is now one of the biggest chat apps on the planet and it's used by businesses everywhere. We use it and just about every business I interact with nope. uses Slack. And they figured out a really awesome like um, billing model too to be profitable. Yeah. And they have a big enough free feature where they don't make like little shops like us. We can't really afford Slack. Yeah. But they have an awesome free tier. <laughs> but when we can afford Slack, we we're going to pay for Slack. For sure. But um, that's it's a success story of they took a step back. They had this giant ball of fire with their product. And they were like, it's time to walk away. What are we going to do with this? And no. they could have just closed up shop like a lot of other failed indie game devs dev shops do um game studios sorry do and they could have said okay we're done sorry everybody we'll help you find jobs mm -hmm. but instead what they did was they said okay what is salvageable from this and what is a good direction that will keep us afloat keep everybody employed and keep our doors open 
And at that point they said, this is, this is it. This is what we're going to focus on. And they did it and they launched it and won in a very big way. And that never would have happened if they just maintained that we're just going to keep failing. Yeah. They were open enough to completely change their whole business model. Yep. Which is cool. I, I think it's a cool story. Yeah, for sure. And it just goes to show that... Like an accidental unicorn, right? <laughs> right. It's cool. Exactly. Um, so all we're saying is be mindful of your MVP, be mindful of your product, and know when it's time to walk away. <laughs>